Chazal tell us, Shloicha Masa al Eitzim Vavonim. The Rebbeinu Shalom did us a chesed. Just a chesed. Instead of getting angry at us and destroying us, so he destroyed the Beis Hamikdash. It's a very difficult thing to understand. The problem is, when it comes to these things, very often we understand them in a very childish way. And in this case, it's mamish like a child. It sounds like I was going to punch you in the face, but instead I punched through the wall. It sounds like the Rebbe and forgive me for speaking this way, if you read this Maimur Chazal wrong, which is the way I think many of us read it, Sounds like the Rebbeinu Shalom had a temper tantrum. His real anger issues. I was so angry at you. I had no choice but to destroy the base of Mikdash. But you're lucky that I didn't destroy you. That's a very broken Judaism, Chaver. That's not our Judaism. <laughs> And then when we look at the Beis HaMikdash, so we see the first Beis HaMikdash was destroyed because we did Shvichas Damim, Gilead, Arayas, and Avedazar. The big three. That lasted 70 years. Sinas nearly 2,000. So if it's the pshat that the Rebbeinu Shalom was going to get angry at us, murder, idolatry, illicit relations, say there, I understand. But I didn't treat my brother nicely. That's what you're so upset about. Murder. 70 years. Idolatry. 70 years. But I wasn't nice to the guy next to me. Who I didn't even know. I didn't even know. I just looked at him and I said, Oh, he's from a different type of Judaism than I am. He has a different ism. He lives in this community. I live in that community. And never the twain shall meet. So Besedir is not nice. It's not nice. For, for that we have Chorban Abayas up until now. Does that make sense? And anyway, what is the Beis HaMikdosh? Because if we go back to that Maimar Chazal and we say the Beis HaMikdosh was the destruction of Eitzim Ve'Avanim, so you'll forgive me for speaking this way, but what's the big deal? So you broke a house. They broke a house. When I was in yeshiva back in America, a chaver of mine, his father, was a chazan. They went away for Yom Kippur. They came back, Matzah Yom Kippur, their house was burnt to a crisp. Something went wrong in the electricity in the house, burnt down the entire house, he literally lost everything. You know what I kept hearing? No, it's just stuff. Al-Aitzim it's just, it's just 
It's just brick and mortar. Things can be replaced. So if we're really going to refer to the Beis HaMikdosh as Eitzim Ve'avanim, so then let's go the full nine yards. It's just Eitzim Ve'avanim. The problem is that we don't understand why the Rabbanu Shalom created the world. We have to go back to the beginning. The Medrash in Parshat Nosa says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu desired to have a dira b'tachtayna. To have a dwelling place down below. What does it mean to have a dira? What does it mean that the Rebbe Shalom wanted a place to live? Down here with us. About four or five months ago, I was walking in Los Angeles. I was walking down Pico Boulevard. It's a bus stop. It's a bus stop on Pico. And I saw a man lying on a bench. Clearly, clearly homeless. And he didn't even have the... I don't know what the word is. He didn't have enough inside of him to even beg for money. He didn't look at me and just go, hey man, you got any cash? He didn't say a thing. He just looked at me. And I saw the hopelessness in his eyes. It's the only way to describe it. I was with a bunch of the chevra, some alumni from the yeshiva. It's just like my heart mamish broke. And the Khabra started telling me that yeah, in LA and Pico, these guys are all over the place, all the time. You just see this Khabra like just mamish just sitting there. Why should I have nothing? I started to think to myself, what does it mean to be homeless? Is the pshat in being homeless that you just don't have a house? That can't be the pshat. If you just don't have a roof, you don't look that homeless. You find a shelter. You find something. Then I thought maybe the pshat was this. To be homeless means that you're truly alone. You have nothing and you have no one to turn to. Because if you had somebody to turn to, you wouldn't be homeless. My father once told me, anything that money can solve is not a problem. So I said to my father, that's easy to say when you have money. He said, no, you're misunderstanding me. If money can solve it, it's not a problem. If a person gets sick and it's just a question of paying for the right doctor, it's not a problem. If it's just a question of paying for the right medicine, it's not a problem. It's when you can't solve the problem with money that it's a problem. When it's not a question of the right doctor, when it's not a question of the right medicine, then it's really a problem. I said, yeah, but you don't have the money. My father said, in our community, you always have the money. You look around... Such unbelievable chesed in our community. There's no such thing in our community as you don't have the money. 
it's very rare that you find from our community people that are truly homeless. Because in our situation, even if somebody was about to lose their home, there's no way it would happen. This guy on the street, Hebra, Mamish didn't have a home. He didn't have anybody in the world to turn to. Nobody that he could say, I need a helping hand. Just a sea of humanity that passed him by. And you saw by him that the hopelessness was so deep, the despair was so deep, that Ipasha didn't even have the kayak, he didn't even have the guts to even ask for a couple of bucks. once speaking to my brother about getting a job after college and he said in our community if you can't get a job something has gone terribly wrong in your life who did you go to camp with who did you sit next to in shul who were your friends in college and who were their fathers we live in such a small community there is no such thing in our community as not having connections And this guy, Mamish, had nothing. So if we think about the Rabbana Shalom, and Chavar, let's for a moment, let's be kaifrim for a moment. Let's think about the Rabbana Shalom, l'chol apachos, at least as a human being. Obviously, he's much more than that. But let's try to understand it from where we're coming from. Nisava HaKadosh Baruch Uliyos L'Yisbarach Dira B'Tachtayim. Before the Rabbana Shalom created the world, he was Mamish perfect in every sense of the world. He was perfect, infinite but with no one to share it with. He had no dira. He had nothing that was other than him. He was homeless. He was homeless. Doesn't mean that the Rabbani Shalom isn't perfect. His existence is perfect. But he had yet to share his life with another. So the Rabbani Shalom created something called other than him. And the pinnacle of everything that he created was something called the Beis HaMikdash. So let's talk about the Beis HaMikdash for a second. The Beis HaMikdash was his dira. The Beis HaMikdash was his home. The greatest nachas that grandparents get is when their children come home. When my parents made Aliyah, they made Aliyah before I did. The biggest fear that my parents had when they made Aliyah was that we wouldn't follow them. Because if we didn't follow them, then when would they see us? When would, when would we come to visit? So when we made Aliyah, my father felt like it's coming together, it's coming together. And even though my parents are long since retired, every summer... My father puts up a pool in his backyard so that on Friday my kids could come swimming. And they put out ice cream and pizza and my kids sit in their pergola and I watch my father and my mother every Friday afternoon. I watch them sit and just get nachas. Just enjoy them. What's the big enjoyment? What's the big enjoyment they're in? 
the big enjoyment is that you have a dira, you have a bias, a place where your children, where your kinderlach can come back to, where the einaklach can come back to. That's the big nachas. It's where things feel right. So we had Aliyah Laregel. We used to come back, we used to make our pilgrimage to the Rebbe to say, we're back. We've come home, we returned. And when we did an Avera, when Chas V'Sholem, it felt like there was a period in our relationship with Hashem, there was a little bit of a separation, a little bit of a cloudiness between us and God. So we came back to our bias and we said to the Rebbe We've come back, we made a mistake. Please cleanse us. And like a mother cleanses a child, the Rebbe would cleanse us. And that's why it's called the Beis HaMikdash. We translate the word Kaidash very poorly. We translate the word Kaidash as sanctity. But what does sanctity mean? What does that do for us? How do we understand that word? I once heard a much better translation of the word Kedusha. The word Kedusha means transparency. That's really what Kedusha means. Kedusha means that I can see through all of the garbage to who you really are. That's what Kedusha means. Beis HaMikdosh means that's the place where we saw the Rebbeinah tell you a marshal that I heard many years ago from Moshe Weinberger Shlita. The Rebbe said that a person came to him with his wife. They were having marital difficulties. They wanted to sit down. They wanted to sit down to discuss what they could do differently in their marriage. So they sit down. The husband, the wife, and Rav Weinberger, and the Rebbe says, okay, who wants to go first? So the wife says, I'll go first. I'm sorry, the husband says, I'll go first. So the husband says, I don't know what she wants from me. I don't know what she wants from me. I make a good parnasa. I'm a good guy. I wake up in the morning, I go to a kolo boker, then I daven, I come home, I quickly grab something to eat, I jump on the L-I-double-R, I learn a dafyaimi on the train. I get to work. I work hard. I'm an honest man. I'm in the city all day. I get home. 6.30, 7, 7.30 at night. I run out. I run out to Myrith. I try to learn a little. I come home. I do the homework with the kids. You know the stories. Have you seen your parents do it? I take out the garbage. I change the light bulbs. I know what she wants from me. And the whole time that she's talking, the woman is sitting there, the wife is sitting there, and she's shaking her head. And the husband says, you see, even now, even now, I can't do anything right. So if Weinberger turns to the wife and he says, what's bothering you? So she says, you think I married him to make a parnasa? You think I married him to change the light bulbs? You think I married him to take out the garbage? I married him because of the way that he once looked at me. Because of the way that he looked at me under the chuppah. And when's the last time that he looked at me that way? And it's been so long since we've just spent time with each other. 
Just hang on on the couch. Just had a good talk. Not about the kids, and not about work, and not about stress. But just like we used to when we were dating. About our hopes and our dreams, just to see each other for real. And when's the last time that we did that? Because we got so caught up in life that we lost each other. And that's what it means to have a bias without having a mikdash. Because in a mikdash we could see each other. We could see the Rebbe and that means we could see each other. And to see each other, Chevra, it doesn't mean to see the yarmulke that we wear. Or the strimal that we wear. Or the bekesha that we wear. Or the bekesha that we don't wear. <coughs> or to say he's from this chassidus, or he has this hashka. That's not mikdash, that's just stuff. That's getting caught up in the details of life without paying attention to the essence. Chabra, I want to tell you a not so secret in Klal Yisrael. You could worship idolatry and the Rabbanu Shalom could forgive you. You could worship idolatry. 70 years. You could even commit murder. Illicit relations. But if you can't see the beauty of another Jew, then there could be no Beis HaMikdash. A house where all there is is fighting, it's just a house, it's not a home. You know the most frustrating thing as a parent? The most frustrating thing as a parent is to watch your children bicker. It's the most frustrating thing in the world. To watch your children just argue over nonsense. And as a parent, all you want to say to them is like, Really? You have so much in your life. You're finding such nonsense to fight about. It drives parents up the wall. Because you have so much in life. How come you can't see the beauty of each other? Zarebi and Yeshiva... His name is Rav Herschel. Some of you may have heard of him. He was a world-famous DRS hockey player back in the day. He was in Long Beach. Still an ice skating rink in Long Beach? Used to be an ice skating rink in Long Beach. And he was there with his brothers. And they were skating around... And they were beating up on each other, as brothers tend to do. And a woman, not their own mother, but a random woman, came over and started yelling at them, saying, hey, don't do that to your brother. And then the brother that was getting beaten up on, he said, they don't mean it, they're just my brothers, we're just playing around. The deepest secret is that even when we behave this way, why do we behave this way? We behave this way because of the love that we have for each other. So why can't we just say it? Why can't we just look at another Jew from another community, somebody that's not like you, and just go, you know, we mamish disagree on so much, but that has nothing to do with the love that I have for you. Think about how that conversation would go. I was on a plane to America. And Chebra, I want to tell you, I'm happy to admit to you my sins. 
I can't stand when the plane gets delayed because people don't want to sit down in their seats. They need to rearrange that everybody should be sitting only in a place that they feel comfortable. Honestly, it drives me up the wall. It drives me up the wall. I wish I had more patience, but it makes me crazy. So I'm sitting in my seat. And there's a couple of chevra that won't sit down until they could rearrange the whole plane. And I'm sitting there waiting and waiting for the plane to take off. And finally, it was very beautiful to watch. The truth is, these secular Jews that really could care less about these things, they were very helpful, probably more helpful than I was. They all moved around to accommodate this couple of chevra. So I'm sitting in the middle aisle, I'm sitting on the aisle seat, and on the aisle seat, three seats down from me, is a guy, turns out that he's a conservative rabbi. And in front of us is these four Hasidic Shechevra that have finally found their seats in the aisle right in front of us. This conservative rabbi, he asks this young guy, looks maybe 21, 22 years old, he goes, can I speak to you about what just happened? So the guy says, sure. He goes, with respect, could you please explain to me why it is that you refuse to sit next to that woman? So this Hasidish young man, he says to him, listen, to me the halacha is millions of dollars. This is my understanding of the halacha. So I very kindly asked her to move. I appreciate that she did that for me. The conservative rabbi says to him, would you mind hearing a response? He said, no, of course. It was a very respectful conversation. He says, can we talk about how that woman must have felt that you refused to sit next to her? We only have Dalad Amos and we have to all live within those Dalad Amos. So the guy says, you're right. But that just means that she needs to learn the halacha because then she won't be insulted. So the rabbi responds. He goes, but she doesn't know the halacha. They went back and forth. It was a very respectful conversation. And after a couple of minutes, it ended. For those of you that know me, you know I can't keep my mouth shut. So I asked this conservative rabbi, I said, would you mind if we spoke for a couple of minutes? He said, no, sure. I said, why'd you ask him? Why'd you ask him? He goes, because I think it's not right. I think it's not right. I think it's a chil Hashem. I said, but you felt comfortable to ask him. He goes, yeah. I said, and it was an incredibly respectful conversation. He said, of course. I said, would you have had that conversation with somebody who was Amish? If an Amish person got on the plane and refused to sit next to a woman, would you have felt comfortable having that conversation? He said, no. So I said, think about the incredible Ahabas Yisrael that both of you have for each other. If you weren't brothers, you could never have had that conversation. We ended up schmoozing for a long time on the rest of the flight. It's not my maizachabra, it's not my genius. I ripped it off from Rabbi Dr. Abraham Torsky, who was on a subway. And the Jew came over to him and he said, you know, Torsky's see the shaman, even though he went to Harvard, and he has a doctorate, and he's a brilliant psychologist. But if you just look at him, you see another chassid. So this man came over and he started yelling at Rabbi Tversky. Time to move into the 21st century. You have to leave Europe behind. Why do you dress that way? Don't you know it makes us look different? Don't you know it makes other people hate us? 
So Rabbi Tversky sat very quietly. And then at the end, he said to him, I'm so sorry, I'm Amish. Guy starts apologizing. I'm so sorry, I didn't know. I've never been to Amish country, but I heard it's so beautiful. It's amazing what you guys do. We're all so caught up in our technology, you guys without your electricity. And then everybody towards you cut him off. He goes, I'm sorry, I am actually Hasidish. But why do you have that reaction when, you, when I'm a Hasid and, and a different reaction when you think I'm Amish? But you know what the answer is, Hebra? Because siblings love each other and siblings argue and siblings fight. In Israel, if you're walking down the street and your kid isn't wearing a jacket, some random stranger might come over to you and go, put a jacket on your kid. Who are you? Don't tell me how to raise my child. You know why they get to say something? Because it's family. You know why Jews treat each other so badly? Because we're family. We wouldn't treat anybody else like this. So why can't we say it? So why can't we say it? Because that's what the Rebbe Hashem is waiting for. He's waiting for Beis Amikdash. He's waiting for Dira B'tachtayim. He's waiting for one Jew to say to another Jew, I love you. And beneath all of the fighting is a tremendous amount of Ahavas Yisrael. Beneath all of the disgusting rhetoric of this community does this and that community does that and this community acts like this and this community acts like that and they hate us and he... Nobody hates, Debra. Nobody hates. It's not hate. It's love masquerading as bickering over nonsense. But it drives our Father in Heaven up the wall. So the Rabbani Shalom did us the biggest chesed in the world. And Chavra, open your hearts for a second, because this might be one of the most important things you ever learn. The Rabbani Shalom did not have a temper tantrum. And he is not angry. He is not angry. But he did say the following. This is a family. And we're not acting like a family. And if we're not acting like a family, then the entire purpose of creation is not being fulfilled. And for that, all of creation could be destroyed. Because I created the world so that I could have a relationship with another. And where are we, Chavra? But I'm not going to take out that anger. It's not anger. It's not what it means. What it means is the displacement of the purpose of the world and the feeling that comes along with that. The Rebbe Shalom is not having a temper tantrum in Shemaim. He's not throwing things against the wall. But it is frustrating that I created the world to have a relationship with you and we can't have a relationship. Like the famous marshal of the father who's very wealthy and is marrying off his final child. You know, Hebra, when it comes to weddings, everybody fights. Everybody fights over weddings. So the father says to the children, he goes, I don't want there to be any fighting. I don't want there to be any fighting. Go spend as much money as you need. Keep your receipts. I'll pay you back for everything. Whatever you think you need to spend on this wedding, go buy it. I'll pay for everything. So the children, they went out, each one of them, and they bought new suits and new ties. And they, they, they got everything they needed, new cufflinks, new hats, whatever they, whatever they needed for the chasna, they bought it for the chasna, that the chasna should be a covet for their father and for their youngest sibling. But there was one sibling that didn't have, you know, in every family there's one sibling that doesn't have. And he couldn't afford to lay out the money. So he showed up to the chasna in his regular suit, and his children showed up in their regular suits and their regular dresses. And the chasna was mamish beautiful. 
And at the end, each one of the siblings came to their father with their receipts. $10,000 for this one, $8,000 for this one, $7,000 for this one. And the father said, I'm not paying you back a penny. And they said, Abba, why not? You told us that you were going to pay us back. We spent so much money thinking you were going to pay us back. And he said to them, you see that son, the one that couldn't afford to lay out the money? He's my son. And if you were his brothers, you would have made sure that he was taken care of. But you're obviously not his brothers, and that means you're not my sons. I promise to take care of my sons. And you didn't behave like my sons. You didn't behave like my children. That's what the Rebbe Shalom is waiting for. So he says, I'm not going to destroy you. It's not what we're going to do. It's just Eitzim v'Avanim. But we need to break this home. We need to separate from each other in order to recognize what we've really lost. Because Jews in crisis manage to find each other. Chavar, you remember a couple of summers ago when there was a war here in Eretz Yisrael? Right before that war, there was a tremendous amount of sinaschinim. It doesn't matter what the issue is. It already passed. It's already, in, it's already in the past. It's already stupidity that's been forgotten. But whenever there's a war from the outside, somehow it matters to us much less what we wear. Somehow it matters to us much less what our hashkafas are. An enemy from the outside creates achdus on the inside. So the Rebbe Shalom says we have to come at this fundamentally from a different place. It's not the pshat that the Beis HaMikdash is destroyed, Chavim. The mikdash was always something that existed inside of ourselves. Always. It manifested itself in a building when we were together. And when we stopped being together, the building couldn't exist. But the Beis mikdash, it's right there. Redemption is its not even a stone's throw away. The door is right there. The key is in the door. All you have to do is turn the key and walk through it. It's a very simple formula. But for some reason, we are the definition of insanity. We do it over and over again with the same result, and we don't know why it happens. We sit there with our jokes, with our cute memes. And they're funny. They're all funny. They're all funny. But they're all sick. We're the only ones that think that we know how the Abishter wants us to serve him. Chavra, I got, a, I got another secret for you. The Rabbanu Shalom had 70 lanes in his highway. And he thought every single one of them was beautiful and meaningful. If he wanted us to all serve him the same way, he would have made us all the same. <coughs> the Gedolim never fought like we fought. Zemaisa with Rav Cook and Rav Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld who were two of the G'dayle Adar who had very different approaches to the state of Israel. Both beautiful, both meaningful, both coming from a tremendous place of a desire to serve Hashem. And Rav Kook and Rav Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld were walking by each other. And Rav Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld turned to Rav Kook and he said to him, May you be up to your knees in blood. And the Talmudim went, Ooh. Rav Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld really got Rav Kook. And the Talmudim of Rav Kook asked them, they said, Rebbe, what was that about? So he said, Rav Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld knows that I'm a Kayin. And he was wishing that the Beis Amikdash should be rebuilt. 
and I should be up to my knees in blood bringing karbanos all day long. It was only the Talmidim that understood it as a diss or a rip or whatever you say these days. But the Tzadikim knew that they were talking to each other in a very beautiful way. I heard a Misa from a Rav in Chicago who has a very beautiful kihila. His kihila, anybody is welcome. Everybody is welcome. And he went to Rav Shach. He went to Rav Shach to ask him, Tachlis, if I've got nine people in my minion and a Lubavitcher walks in, do I have a minion? And Rav Shach looked at him and he said, of course. What's the question? He said, but Rebbe, all of those things that you spoke out, that you said, he goes, that wasn't for you to get involved in a machlaikas. That was for me. Not that, chas v'shalom, everybody should now go fighting with each other. I had a chiv to say what I felt was necessary to say. But that was never supposed to devolve into a machlaikas. That was l'shem shamayim. Couldn't understand that. Rashach, who spoke out against the state of Israel so often, but when he heard one day that a helicopter crashed and that four Chayalim were killed, they say it was inconsolable. The Satmar Rebbe, who, who used to, more than anybody, the Satmar Rebbe was against the state of Israel. But then he said to his Hasidim, you only hear what I say when my back is to the Aaron Kodesh. You don't hear what I say when I'm facing the Aaron Kodesh. Which means to say, you don't hear how I'm davening for every single Jew even those that I don't agree with, or that don't agree with me. The tzaddikim never meant for us to fight. The gedolim never meant for us to fight. But we lost ourselves. We got involved in the pettiness of my community is better than yours. My way of serving Hashem is better than yours. Al etzim v'avanu. Av 5777 Where the state of Israel has to beg Arabs to go up to Harabayas to Davin. Because if we put a metal detector up then that causes riots. And when we take the metal detectors down that causes riots. Only cameras. No, get rid of your cameras. There can't be any security measures. Mecca has security measures. Mecca has metal detectors. Harabayas can't have metal detectors. Every museum in the country has metal detectors. To protect us from who? From the very people that are riding. And we keep begging them. No, go to Harabayas. You go to Harabayas. The Jew can't feel comfortable today. Davening at Harabayas. And the Palestinian Authority spends millions and millions and millions of dollars rewarding the families of terrorists, freedom fighters, for that monster, for that animal that walked in on the night of a Shalom Zacher and destroyed a family forever. Why don't we get it? Why don't we get it? You think when that monster... When that animal walked into that family's house, he said, I'm going to go after Datilu Mi people and not Haredim. I'm going to go after Chiloni people and not Mizrahi people. You think he cared? 
I promise you he didn't care. He didn't even think about it. He probably didn't even know about it. He just knew it's a Jew. And I'm going to send a message. So I'll finish with a maisa that I heard. Babacher Rebbe had his birthday fabreng. And his old, old friend, Rav Salavechik, was invited. They sent a car. I think it was even a limo. They sent a car to go bring Rav Salavechik to 770. I don't know if any of you have seen 770. The way it used to be by the Fabrengans is the Rebbe sat at a very long table. And behind him were the older Hasidim and in the, in the crowd, there were thousands and thousands of Hasidim that would pack in. There were mamish hanging from the rafters. When Rusalovechik came, Rusalovechik, of course, had a chabrusa with Lubavitcher Rebbe back in Berlin. When the Lubavitcher Rebbe got drunk on Purim one time and was dressed, he was arrested for drunken disorderly. It was Rusalovechik that came and bailed him out. They were old chabra. So Rusalovechik came and they sat him at the dais. But out of respect for the Rebbe, he didn't sit right next to him. He sat maybe 20 feet down from him. It was a very long dais. And as Rosalovechik was walking out at the end of the Fabrengen, somebody said to him, it seems like the Baal Shem Tov and the Grah have now finally made Shalom. They finally made peace with each other. Because after all, the Salavechiks are the Sion, the Grah, Rav Chaim the Beis Halevi, Rav Chaim Brisker, Velvor of Moshe Salavechik, and then ultimately Rav Yashaber, Rav Shiva Vuayu. And of course, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, seven generations of Chabad from the Magid Mimezrich, who was the Talmud of the Baal Shem Tov. So it seems like sitting at the same table, sitting at the same tish, ah, finally made Shalom. And Rav Salavechik turned to this man and he said to him, No, they already made Shalom when we were burnt in the same ovens in Auschwitz. Halavai that we could sit at the same table. But it seems, Chavra, to me that even now, in Av 5777, with all the enemies that are mamish at the gate, that we still can't look towards each other. And that, Rabbi Sai, is criminal. That's a criminal thing. I was so sure that there would be no Tishabov this year. I meant what I said that first Fabrengen, that first Friday night, that first Shabbos. I meant what I said. And I'll tell you something. I know that Rabbi Leibowitz really meant it. A couple of days ago, Rabbi Leibowitz started working on the schedule for Tishabov. I said, we still have another couple of days. You got to bring back Shlomo Katz. It's going to be unbelievable. He said, believe me, I would work on it. But the powers that be above me, they're forcing me to do this. I want to tell you something. By me, I'm not such a tzaddik. I know, I know what's really going on inside of me. And I know that a part of me is joking. But when I looked at Rabbi Leibowitz, I saw he was serious. He mamish didn't want to plan for this. He mamish did not want to plan for this. He was so sure. He was so sure. But I want to leave you with a message of hope. Because Al-Aitzim Va'avanim means that the Rabbani Shalom's love for us has not been diminished. Mashiach is born on Tisha B'Av. In a couple of hours, the fast gets lighter, even though it's the pinnacle of destruction. 
even though that's mamish the time when the Beis Hamikdash was being burnt. One of the Chabra asked me before, if the Beis Hamikdash is mamish being burnt in a couple of hours, why does the fast get lighter? You know why? Because Jews always see hope in destruction. Rav Akiva laughed when he saw the Chabra. So we still have Chabra a couple of hours until the fast gets lighter. Go over to someone today, not to violate the halacha, but to make someone who you wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable with, go over to them and make them feel comfortable. Ask them, how's their fast going? Something, a little bit something, that we should be able to see each other. And in the schus of seeing each other, may the Rebbe Hashem return to us our eyes. We will be Zoich the Greek Mashiach Sakenu in just a couple of hours this afternoon.